Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Moses turned and looked out at the camp of Israelites. He liked to come, you know, maybe as the sun began to set and just stand out and look at all the Israelites. You know, there's probably about a million strong in their various tents and the various fires about to pop up as the sun began to set. And then he looked behind him and he and he saw the promised land. The promised land. The people were about to enter. They were getting ready to enter the promised land and he was excited for him. But he knew he wasn't going to be able to lead him into the promised land. God had said, you can't go into the promised land, Moses, because of what happened. But Joshua, your second in command, he will be the person to lead him in. He was disappointed in that, and probably bitterly disappointed. But he was probably still excited about what was going to happen to his people. He was excited that they were finally going to get back into the promised land, to the land promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all their forefathers. See, Moses earlier led the people of Israel out of Egypt. They had been in Egypt in bondage for 400 plus years and under the leadership of Moses, he led them out, and you know they went through the Red Sea and had that great miracle happen. The, you know, the splitting of the Red Sea so they could walk through on dry land, and they they had all this great, you know, wonderful things. They saw God working. You know, they saw they saw God leading them by a cloud by day, and then a pillar of fire by night, and they came to the edge of the promised land. And there, God said, all right, you're going to have to take this back because while they were gone, people had filled the land. Other tribes, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Girgashites, you know, various Ivite-type tribes had filled the land. And now God said to his people, you're going to have to push them out. You're going to have to get them out of the land again. So they sent 12 spies, as it says there in the book of Numbers, if you want to look it up. Well, he sent in 12 spies and two came back saying, yes, we can do this. You know, Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can do this. But 10 of the spies were like, "Uh uh-uh, no way. There are giants in that land. This is scary stuff. And they got the people to say no. And Moses said, yes, we got to do what God commands. And they were like, no, we can't. And so God said, because of your lack of faith, because you're not, you didn't trust me, the God who led you out of Egypt, who did all these miracles on your behalf because of that, you're now going to have to wander in the desert 
for 40 years until this generation has passed out, until this generation has died away. So they wandered for 40 years, and it says their clothes never wore out. The soles on their sandals never wore out. But the people wore out, and that generation died. And here, their sons and their daughters, they were getting ready to take back the promised land. They were getting ready to go in, and it was probably a military preparation of some kind, and also God talking to his people through Moses, telling him what he's planning. And so Moses, he's getting his ready people, he's getting his people ready to go. Even though he can't go in, he's getting his people ready to go. And I can imagine it's getting dark. And you know, he sees a fire, the campfire, and he'd like to go sit there, and so he does. And see, back then they didn't have television and they didn't have radio, they didn't have Xbox or the Switch or whatever to entertain themselves or their iPad, you know. Back then, a lot of entertainment was done around the campfire where people would tell stories, tell stories of the past, tell stories of, you know, the great stories of Abraham and the great stories of Jacob. It's called oral history is the technical term for it. And a lot of great ideas were passed on that way. And I can imagine Moses is sitting around the fire, enjoying hearing the stories, talking with other people. And maybe during a break, during one of the stories, he overhears maybe a, a guy named Jacob sitting over there. And he's like, hey, Benny. You know, Jacob and Benny are talking. I can imagine that. Hey, Benny, I heard that when we go into that land, some of those people have totally different ideas of how the world was created. Benny's like, really? And Jacob's like, yeah. I think one of them, they believe in this god named Marduk who created the world. And he fought with this, with this other goddess named Tianatu. And out of her body, he created all the world. And Benny's like, really? Is that true? Do you think that's true? And Jacob goes, I don't know. I don't know if that's true at all. And Benny's like, you know what? I've also heard that there's another tribe that believes in this god named Nabu, who created the world out of water and fought with the god Enki to create the world. And then I've heard this other tribe, they believe in this god, I think named Dagon, that created man out of his blood. Do you think that's true? Do you think all that's true? Creating the world out of the corpse of another god, creating the world out of water? I don't know if that's true. See, it's interesting. Other cultures have these creation stories. And other cultures have these stories of how... One of them is the Babylonian Enula Elish, where it talks about this god Marduk fighting with the water god Tiannatu and then creating the world out of her corpse. And I imagine that there's all these other creation stories that the Jewish people are starting to bump into. And they're wondering, do you think that's true? I don't know. And I can imagine Moses overhears this story. And he thinks, what? That's not right. There is no way they should believe that story. There's no way they should believe that the god Marduk created the world or that the god Nabu created the world or that the god Dagon. No way. They should not believe that. 
they probably heard the stories of Adam and the stories of Eve. They should know better. And you know what? I can imagine Moses thinking to himself, you know what? I've got to do something about this. And I can imagine he goes back to his tent and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, okay, because the Bible is clear, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, you know, 2 Timothy 3.16. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I can imagine Moses begins to write. And if you turn now to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Now, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. If you have a Bible, great. If you have it on your phone, that's fine as well, or on your iPad, but go to the first book in the Bible. It's called Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And I can imagine Moses is sitting there writing, you know, he's got this clay tablet in front of him probably, and he's got a pen. He begins to write, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Mind blowing, worldview blowing. We're going to break things up. It's not the God Marduk. It's not the God Nabu. No. In the beginning, God, and the Hebrew word for God there, because that's the language that Moses spoke back then, the Hebrew word for God is El, E L. In the beginning, El created the heavens and the earth. See, kids, I'm going to teach you a big word, okay? And I want you to remember this word. It's, it's a big word, but I know you can get it, okay? The big word is worldview. And we all have a worldview, okay? Imagine you wear a pair of sunglasses, and the glasses have like maybe a pink lens, and everywhere you look, everything looks pink through those sunglasses. Everywhere you look, everything looks red through those sunglasses. That's how a worldview works. You have a worldview. I have a worldview. Everybody you meet has a worldview, whether they know it or not. And a worldview is basically how you look at the world. How? Why are you here? What are you here for? Who created the world? How should you treat people? You get all those things, the way you live, the way you treat your little brother, the way you treat your big sister, all comes from a worldview. And Moses is like, you know what? I've got to let my people know what worldview they need to have. And I think the book of Genesis is all about worldviews. Because remember, the people of Israel were about to go back into the promised land. They were about to take it back. And they're bumping into people with different worldviews. And he wants his people to know the truth. And it's the same thing with you kids. You know, when you go back to school and... You know, the next day when you go to school, when you hang out with your friends, when you go to church, you're going to bump into people with different worldviews, okay? Maybe fundamentally different worldviews than you, or maybe the same. But what I want you to have is a biblical worldview, okay? That's what I want you to have, a biblical worldview. I want your starting point to be the Bible. I want you to take all these ideas that you bump into, and I want you to filter them through Scripture. I want you to have a biblical worldview. Well, in Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And that is biblical worldview number one that you've got to plant on. You, it's solid. You're going to stand on this worldview. It's so important. It's right there in the first verses of Scripture. It's this, that God created everything. It's not a difficult worldview. It's not a hard one to grasp, right? It's pretty easy. But God created everything. That's a biblical worldview. When you look around you and you see trees and you see birds and you see little babies and you see anything natural, you can say God created everything. But you're going to bump into people with different worldviews than that. Okay, there are people out there who don't believe that. But that's not what the Bible teaches. They believe that we're just here by chance. The Big Bang happened and we evolved into something. And it's all randomly chance. It's just all by nature. There's no supernatural. And there's probably no God. And everything has a natural explanation. Well, the book of Genesis, it says, nope, biblical worldview. If you're going to think like the Bible, you've got to believe, number one, that God created everything. Well, Moses is like, wow, man, I got to keep going, and I want to tell this great story of creation. And so he talks about, okay, now I want everybody, everybody, okay, wherever you're at, I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine a darkness, so dark, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. You know, I was once in a cave system, and they switched off the light, and man, I couldn't see anything. It was that dark. But I want you to imagine that sort of darkness. But now here's a question. How many of you are afraid of the dark? Well, this isn't that type of darkness, I don't think. This type of darkness is a good darkness. An awesome, beautiful darkness. This is like the darkness you see in a good chocolate cake. Oh, that's great to eat, right? You know, it's a beautiful darkness. Why? Because it says there in verse 2 that the Spirit of God was there hovering over the face of this deep, deep darkness. See, God has no beginning and no end. God always has and always will exist. And he was there right at the beginning when it was dark. But man, you know, keep your eyes closed, keep your eyes closed. It's a good dark. It's a beautiful dark. But then God says, let there be light. And boom, open your eyes as fast as you can and imagine the most beautiful light you can imagine. You know, poo, all of a sudden this beautiful, I can imagine a bluey white light just filling the darkness, you know. I mean, this is beautiful. And God said, let there be light. And there was this beautiful light. It's interesting later on in John chapter 1, the book of John chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, in the beginning was the word, which is another name for Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus was right there. In fact, he's the one that says here, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything that was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And here's the key. The light shines in the 
darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right at the beginning, God says, through Jesus, the creator of the world, he says, let there be light, and Jesus, this beautiful light. And he saw that the light was good, and he separates this light from the darkness, and the light he calls day, and the darkness he calls this beautiful night and at the end of the first day there was evening and there was morning and God steps back and he looks at this beautiful light and the beautiful night and he says that it is good now this isn't just a hey it's good that you've done something or you know, it's it's good that I like chocolate, or it's good that you like the Chicago Bears, or it's good that you like a specific team, or no, no, this is a good. Oh, you ever eaten a piece of chocolate cake? I know I'm a bit obsessed with chocolate cakes right now, but let's say you've eaten a piece of chocolate cake and you're like, oh, that was so good, or a really great plate of spaghetti. You're like, oh man, it's that sort of good. When God stepped back, He didn't just say, oh, it's good. No, He says that. That it is good. Oh, this is awesome. And then God says, you know what? The creating is just started. Day two comes around and God says, all right, let's separate and begin to create this expanse. Now, verse six here. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but those people who study Hebrew say this is one of the most confusing verses to translate in the whole Bible. All right, this is an interesting verse. Basically, God says he comes and there's this water that's around the earth. Maybe the earth in the middle wasn't that big and this big expanse of water that's just circled around the earth. And I can imagine God takes his finger and he begins to cut a line down the middle of that water around the earth, you know, sort of like peeling an apple. I don't know. And he begins to separate. It says he separates the waters from above from the waters from below. And he begins to create in this expanse in the midst of the water. So I imagine he begins to push and push the waters above pushes them up and then he begins to push the waters below down into the earth but then he begins to keeps on pushing pushing the waters that are up and he begins to create i can imagine this beautiful dome above him he's creating the sky on day two he creates the sky and he looks up at the sky you know every time you see that blue in the sky remember those are water module you know water molecules i would say with the water with the rays of light coming through them and they reflect this blue color well they keep pushing he keeps creates this beautiful sky but then i imagine he pushes beyond that he pushes further and further and he keeps pushing beyond our sky and he keeps pushing it out and i think on day two he keeps pushing and he separates the waters from below from the waters from above and i think on day two he creates this beautiful space we call the universe you know if you go beyond our sky you go into this black beautiful blackness and 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 it's just this massive universe and i think if you could go to the end of the universe i think if you could go there you'd find water you know, I really honestly believe that. And God on day two, 
created the heavens that you can see, that beautiful blue heaven with the clouds. And then he creates this beautiful universe. He creates all of that on day two. And he steps back and he says that it is good. Oh man, what he's creating here is awesome. And then he goes to day three and he goes, all right, let's go back to the earth. We're going to see a pattern here. He goes out to the sky. Then he goes back to the earth. Then he goes back to the sky again. Well, here on day three, he goes back to the to, to the earth, and he begins to separate the water that is on the earth, pushes it out. The idea there is he gathers it in one place. And the word there, I guess, in the Hebrew is this idea of tabernacling. You know, a tabernacle is this place where you go worship God, you know. And I, I just think it just shows the craftsmanship of God. And he begins to gather the water in one place. And he begins to separate the earth into one place. And he separates the earth from the water. And he calls the water basically the sea or the ocean. And then he calls this dry land, he calls that earth or land. And he steps back and he looks at the beautiful oceans. And he looks at the, the beautiful land and he says that it is good. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to have to start planting some vegetation right here on the land. Again, here on day three, he, he puts down seed-bearing type flowers, you know, little little vegetation, little plants that, that yield seeds so that they can reproduce. And then he puts in big trees that also produce fruit. And not just like apple trees or orange trees, but you know, like a mighty oak that produces after its kind or a cedar tree, you know. And so on day three, he separates the land from the water and says, this is good. And then he begins to populate the land with vegetation and with trees. And then he steps back and he says that it is good. Now, it's interesting to me that on day three, they call it the twice-blessed day. It's the only day where God says it is good twice. I just think that's cool. He says this is good. So then on day four, he goes back to the sky. And he's like, I've created this beautiful sky. But that universe beyond the sky, I've got to populate it with something. I've got to put some things in it. And it says he begins to create the stars. Do you know how many stars there are, there are in the universe? I mean, the, the amount of stars in the universe is massive. We can't even begin to understand how many stars we have. But some scientists, some people who study this stuff, they say that the Milky Way alone, so we live in a galaxy which is one of multiple billions of galaxies all through this massive universe that we can't even comprehend its size. But in our Milky Way alone, scientists say there are a hundred billion stars. A hundred billion. Can you wrap your head around that? just in our galaxy alone. So can imagine the amount of stars that God creates here on day four. In the book of Isaiah, it says that God, when he created him, he gave him all a name. He knows them all by name. I mean, he, he knows the beautiful stars, the billions upon billions upon billions of stars that he created. He created them all on day four. And then it says... God created a big light to rule the day and a lesser light 
to rule the night. Okay, so here on day four, he creates the stars, but then he says, let's have this bigger light, these two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Now we know those right today as the sun and the moon. So why doesn't Moses call them? Hey, on day four, he created the sun and the moon. You know why I think he doesn't do that? It's because remember, they're about to go into other tribes where they worship the sun as a god. And they worship the moon as a god. Remember, they came out of Egypt where they had a sun god who some, some Egyptians thought was the god. And they named him Ra and they worshiped the sun. Abraham, one of their forefathers, came from a background where they worshipped the moon god Sin, which is a weird name for that god. But they already worshipped the sun as a god, and they already worshipped the moon as a god. And I believe under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you know, Moses is not saying, I'm not going to give these bright lights even names because I don't want people to think that we can worship the sun and the moon. In fact, I'm not even going to call them the sun and the moon. I'm just going to call them two bright lights. Why? Because I want the people to remember and to know that there's one true God and his name is El. And he is so mighty and he's so powerful. He created your God you call the sun. He created your God you call the moon. He created those. Those aren't gods. There's only one true God. Now, if you're thinking, if you're listening, you're like, wait, 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 wait. Hold up a second. If light was created on day one, but the sun wasn't created until day four, Where'd the light come from those first three days? Because everybody knows, right, that light comes from the sun. That's where the light comes from. Everybody knows that. So where did the light come from the first three days? You know where I think it came from? I think it came from God himself. I think it came from his glory and his majesty. Some people think he created the light spectrum on day one. That could be, but I think where that light came from was the beauty and glory of God. It talks about in the book of Revelation that the new earth and the new Jerusalem, you know, we won't need the sun because it's going to be lit by the glory of God, by the glory of the Lamb of God. We're not even going to need the sun. And I think his glory just permeated and made everything beautiful light. But on day four, he's like, all right. I now give that job to the sun. And he gave the sun, boop, you now have the job of giving out light. So on day four, God creates the stars and the moon and the sun. And he steps back and he says that it is good. Well, on day five, he goes back again to the earth. And he's like, all right. I've got to fill this beautiful ocean with something and this beautiful sky with something. And so he creates on day five all the fish to fill the seas and to fill the ocean. And he says, hey, go forth and multiply. Just to swarm and fill the oceans with other fish. He made cod and he made haddock and he made, he made all these other things. And it's interesting 
that in verse 21 there in Genesis, it says that he also made in this water the great sea creatures. Now, some translations say the great sea monsters. What's interesting is the word there for great sea creatures. You know, we would see it as a whale today. But these are the big fish, you know, the massive, if there ever was a megalodon, you know, these big, huge fish, right? Well, what's interesting is that the people they were about to encounter in this land they were going to take over, they had a specific monster that they were afraid of in the water. And we would probably see it as, again, we probably would see it as a whale today, but back then they saw it as some great, mysterious, demonic monster, and they had a specific word for it, all right? And the word for this sea monster that they were afraid of Moses uses right here to talk about these great sea creatures. And again, he's essentially saying to the people, don't worry about this monster. Don't worry about the so-called fish monster. No, you can, it's okay because my God created that. Don't be afraid of that. My God created it. He filled the sea with beautiful fish and octopus and all these great sea creatures massive thing don't be afraid of it and then moses says he says all right on day five i'm not only going to create the fish i'm going to fill the sky and he creates on day five all the birds all the beautiful flying birds the eagles and the hawks and the sparrows and all the way down to the little bitty hummingbirds you know those little things which are fun to watch he creates them all on day five and he steps back and he says that it is good well he's getting to day six and day six rolls around and god stays on the earth and he begins to populate the earth with animals and it says he creates three types of animals he creates cattle he creates creeping things and he creates beasts all on day six now the cattle are the type of creatures that people would use to domesticate and to use around the farm like a cow or an ox or a bull or you know i don't know a dog man's best friend i wonder if that would fit in there but technically it's like ox and animals and horses and donkeys and that sort of thing that you can use to create milk or plow a field or whatever it happens to be that you can domesticate now the creeping things are all these little insects that you see you know when you think of it the cockroach pretty ugly but i think before the fall they were probably useful and then ants you know millions of ants and the beetles and the little caterpillars and then he also created the beasts, I can imagine. Those animals that you're like, I don't know if I could tame that animal or not. They look pretty scary, you know, like maybe an elephant or a tiger, you know, or a huge gorilla or a pan or a bear or a panda bear, you know. So on day six, he creates cattle, creeping little animals, and all the beasts basically creates all the animals fall into those three categories on earth but then god turns and he comes to the high point of his creation the best 
thing imaginable. Now remember, he's created billions upon billions of stars that are amazing. Do you know there's one star out there that has at its center of its planet, there is a diamond as big as our Earth? Do you know there's a planet out there where it rains literally glass. Now, I don't know if that would be a cool place to live or not, but that would be amazing to see. I mean, he's created the sun, which is this massive, huge, beautiful thing. He's created some amazing things. The eagle and the and the huge albatross with its massive wing and that beautiful whale. I mean, he's created some awesome things, but nothing, nothing compares to what he is about to create next here on day six. He is so excited. This is the pinnacle of his creation. And God steps back and he begins to create. Well, if you come back next week, we'll find out what it was. What is this amazing thing that God created? Of course, you can read ahead there in Genesis chapter 1, which I would encourage you to do. But man, it's exciting to see what God created. And I just want to leave you with this thought. Biblical worldview. you got to have your lenses on, right? you got to walk around and live, filter everything you see on television especially, on social media, whatever, you, on the internet, at school, whatever it happens to be. All those messages, all those ideas, how does this equate with this biblical worldview you're beginning to form? And biblical worldview number one is God created everything. And kids, he created you. And adults, if you're listening, he created you too. And he loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins so that you don't have to be separated from him forever. And I keep going back to what the Bible says, right? It says in Acts chapter 2 and then later on in Romans chapter 10, All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Basically, it's just saying, ask Jesus to save you, and he will. And I'd encourage you, man, if you've not asked Jesus to save you, man, ask him to save you today, and then decide, I'm going to be loyal, and I'm going to follow him the rest of my days. That, that's what I want to do. And when you do that, man, we get to follow this amazing God that we encounter here in Genesis chapter 1. Baldhead Bible Podcast is created by Dr. John Katzian. Music composed and performed by Elijah Katzian. Edited by Lincoln Katzian. If you'd like to listen to more of Baldhead Bible Podcast, please subscribe. New episodes added every week.